gullible, naive, desperate. They would even go so far to say they're just people who need a crutch to deal with life. Just something to get through life. So they cling to Christ as a crutch. Somebody who's going to just get them through. But it's a story, a fable. It's nothing real. It's just a crutch for them. And then there are those who are flat out, and they'll just say Christians are stupid. They're just stupid. They're unintelligent. They're not intellectual. And they cling to a fable. How stupid can you be? This morning, I want us to look at that. And I want us to look at a message this morning titled, Are Christians Fools? Are Christians Fools? Because that's what the world says. The world says, especially as we gather on this day to celebrate together, they would say, what fools you are. Christians, they would say, are fools. This morning, we'll be looking at part of the text we read for our public reading today. So if you have your Bibles open, turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read a portion of that again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Talking about, are Christians fools? Let's look at again verses 14 through 22. I'm going to read starting in verse 14. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, they perish. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As we look to study it, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us. That, Father, you would empower the going forth of your word. That you would strengthen the believers and that you would draw a man and woman here who is lost unto yourself, unto salvation today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the claims of Christ. Christ claimed to be Savior. Christ claimed this. He claimed to be God in human flesh, the only begotten of the Father. He claimed that he came to seek and save that which is lost. He claimed that there was exclusivity, that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one was going to make it to heaven except through him. Jesus claimed these things. He claimed he was the good shepherd, that he would lay down his life for the sheep. But he also claimed that he would die and in three days rise from the dead. Stop there for a second and think about that one. That he would rise from the dead. Now, think about this. Words are just words, right? Anybody can say anything. They're just words. 
anyone can claim to be God. Anybody can say those words. Anyone can claim to be the Savior of the world. They're just words. Anyone can claim that they are the only way to salvation. They're only words. Anyone can claim that they have the power over death. They're only words. Anyone can claim that they'll rise from the dead in three days. And for three days, those are only words. But something happens after those three days. We get to validate whether or not that message is true. Jesus said he would rise from the dead after three days. This is a claim that anybody who makes, they would be crazy to make. If someone standing before you said, hey, by the way, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise in three days, you would think, good luck with that. Everything else they could say, you could think, well, hopefully this is true. Hopefully that is true, but what? You're going to die and wait? I've never seen anybody rise from the dead before. Leads us to the first point I want to make this morning. When we're asking the question, are Christians fools? First point is this. And we're going to talk about if Christ had not been raised. If Christ had not been raised. So let's look at if Christ had not been raised. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 14. Verse 14, we read, If Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So the question again is, are Christians fools? Are Christians fools? Well, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then 100% the answer is yes. Absolute fools. 100%. If the tomb was not empty, most certainly Christians are fools. Christianity hangs on the resurrection of Christ. He claimed after three days he would rise from the dead. It's a crazy claim. It was a claim that no man in his right mind would make. It was a claim that no man could fulfill. Surely everything that Jesus said and that Jesus did would be disqualified if he doesn't rise from the dead on the third day. Everything else would be disqualified. He would also be a liar. Christ would be a liar. If he did not raise, he would be a liar. But he said of himself that he is one with God, and God cannot lie. Thus, Christ must rise from the dead. Otherwise, he's not God. He's not God. And if he's not God, there's no point of preaching Christ to you. If Christ is a liar, there is no point for standing up, gathering on a Sunday morning, and preaching Christ. It would be of no value. Zero. There would be no hope in preaching Christ. If Christ had not risen from the dead, then Christians are fools. Second part of that, look down to verse 17 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 17. We read, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Look, here's the reality. Some of us might not want to admit it, but we know that we have all sinned. Every single one of us has sinned. We've all rebelled against a holy God. We've all sinned in thought, in word, in action. And the Bible is clear that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus would present himself as a perfect sacrifice 
the one who lived a perfect life and could die in place of us as a perfect substitute, the one who would take upon himself the sins of the world, the one who the Father would be satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus. All the debt of our sins would be paid by Christ on the cross. Our sins would be forgiven. They would be imputed to Christ, placed upon him. Church, this is glorious news for those who believe. But if Christ had not risen from the dead, if he had not risen from the dead, if the tomb had not been empty, then Christ was a liar. Then all that hope is washed away. Christ would have no power over sin, no power over death, no power over hell if Christ had not risen from the dead. And our faith in him would be absolutely foolish. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we would still be in our sins. Christ had not risen from the dead. Sins still are among us, upon us. If Christ had not risen from the dead, there would be no way of forgiveness. If Christ had not been raised, we're going to stand before God on judgment day and pay the penalty for our sins. If Christ has not been raised, we are foolish. We are foolish. Keep looking with me, verse 19. Verse 19, we read, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about this. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we are certainly the most foolish of all people. Christians, think about Christians. Christians, we we willingly flee from selfish pursuits, and instead we seek to please Christ. Christians look beyond this lifetime into eternity and forego selfish pleasure now in order to store up treasure in heaven. Christians submit themselves to Christ and follow him as Lord. If Christ had not been risen from the dead, then everything that motivates the Christian is a lie. Christ has not risen from the dead. There would be no chance of heaven. There would be no life, no reward of, of eternal life. Jesus wouldn't be Lord at all. He would just be a liar. I think if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then Christians have missed their chance. Missed their chance to eat, drink, and be merry. Because we've foregone all for Christ. Christ had not risen from the dead, then Christians are fools. Because everything hinges upon the resurrection of Christ. All that we believe hinges upon the resurrection. But, as we go through all that, but I say, there's no need to fear. There's no need to be concerned because, guess what? On that morning, there was no body to be found. Christ was risen. He was not there. He did exactly what he said he would do. Looking at our second part this morning, talking about since Christ has been raised, since he has been raised. Look at me at verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But that's just the theory. The tomb was empty. That's why we gather and rejoice this morning. We hear someone say, he is risen, and everybody else says, he is risen indeed. We don't wishful think, man, that would be really nice if that really happened. But we stand upon the truth of the fact that that tomb was empty. Jesus did what no man could do. He defeated sin and death. In that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want you to backtrack a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, go back up to verse 3. Let's start reading from there. Paul the Apostle says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Look at verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning still witnesses, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. I want you to think about a courtroom. There's a case going on, and witnesses are called. How many witnesses does it take to validate a claim? At least two, in most cases. Typically, we read from the Old Testament where two or three are gathered. We have witnesses. Over 500 witnesses to testify of what they have seen. Now look, if you see a man come back from the dead who said he would come back, you're not going to forget that. You're going to remember that. And you're going to testify to the world of the things you have seen. And nothing is going to change your mind, not even the death of th- or the threat of death. And many would die for their faith in Christ because they had seen the risen Lord. They couldn't deny what they had seen. Even Jesus' own brother James, who didn't believe prior to that time, but then said, I'll believe if I could see his wounds, put my hand in them. And Jesus appeared to him and said, go on. Thomas, by the way. Some of you are looking like, what? Thomas, I said James. But he wouldn't believe. And then he believed after the resurrection. James, his brother, also believed. James, his brother, ended up being very powerful in the church and leading the church. One who would believe, and because he has seen the risen Lord. No one could deny such a miracle. Like I said, not a threat of death would cause them to recant their faith in Christ. You know, and I thought of this. It would be a challenging feat to find somebody who would die for the truth. It would be a challenging feat to find somebody who would be willing to die for the truth. But it might be an impossible feat to find somebody who would die for a lie. Who would give their life for a lie? If it was all a hoax, and it was all just let's pretend this really happened, Would they die for that lie? Surely someone would come to their senses and go, okay, just kidding. It didn't really happen. But every single witness testified of the same thing. Nothing could shake them from what they had witnessed. Not even death. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Church, he is risen. He is risen. And since Christ has been raised. We have full assurance of everything 
that Christ spoke. Full assurance. Since Christ has been raised, there is life in his name. Since Christ has been raised, there is forgiveness of sins available through him. Since Christ has been raised, he has conquered sin and death and hell. Since Christ has been raised, you have hope today. I have hope today. We have hope today. Since Christ has been raised, Christians most certainly are not fools. Most certainly. Third thing this morning, in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ shall all be made alive. Look down in our passage of verses 21 and 22. Read this morning, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Friends, sin and death entered through Adam. Since the first man, all have been born in sin. We here today can testify of that. Anybody been around a little child? Who goes, who tries to sneak something and said, wasn't me? Did you teach them that as their parent? No. Where did they learn it? Where did they get that? Where did they see that? Was it from the television? Because guess what? That behavior existed before the television was invented. They were born into sin. They were born with a focus on me, myself, and I. And it was all that was about them, their pursuit, and ours as well. And one time I'm looking around, we were little as well. And then we just grew up to be bigger kids with the same problems. But all are born into sin. We have all sinned. We know the wages of sin is death. And just as Adam and all die, Christ comes and makes all alive. Look, born into sin means there's a death sentence upon our heads. Christ came to save sinners. That was the mission. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that the saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now I'm looking around and some of you look pretty dapper today. Some of you went, you know what, it's, it's Easter and I'm going to just dress up. It's Easter Sunday and I'm going to look the best I can today. Well, that's great. I'm glad you're looking nice. Some of you are like, wow, looking really good. But I can't see beyond what you're wearing on the outside. That's all I can see. But there is one who can see beyond that to the very motive of the heart. And he sees everything. And yet some of us would sit here this morning and say, yeah, but I would never classify myself as a sinner. That's pretty harsh. Well, no need to raise your hand on who would say they're a sinner and say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. But I'm guessing that all of us are. And that guess is founded upon actually truth, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But some of us think, I'm actually a pretty good person. I'm actually not that bad. Where do we come up with that reasoning? I mean, think about it. If I asked you right now, don't shout out the answer, but I said, are you a good person? Think within yourself, what would you answer? 
right? Some of you are being honest, and some of you go, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. What standard did you use for that? Some of you go, well, I know this person at work, and whoo-hoo, man, they're, I'm way better than them. Or you should know my brother or my sister, or you should know my neighbor, and I am definitely better than them. And our standard is this way. And we start judging ourselves based upon others. Well, I'm not as bad as them, we would say. Well, our measurement is completely wrong. It should be based upon a holy and perfect and righteous God. But yet to feel better about ourselves, we find the worst person to compare ourselves to. Well, at least I'm not a murderer like them. At least I'm not this, or at least I haven't done that. But we don't look to God's standard. And we don't see what God has to say. And therefore, many of us have a hard time ever classifying ourselves as a sinner. We think, I'm really not that bad. I mean, yeah, I've made some quote-unquote mistakes. How often do we use that word, mistakes? Anything that's rebellion against God is called sin. It's not a mistake. It's rebellion. And although we would never classify ourselves as sinners, the reality is when we start judging ourselves according to God's standard, it is very clear that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's given us a perfect and holy standard. Let, let me put it into perspective by asking you some simple questions. Here's a simple one. Have you ever told a lie? I'm going to take a drink while you think of that one because I know that's a hard question. Some of you are like, no, nah, never. Really? We, we've even like watered it down. We're like, oh, it's not a lie. It's a fib. It's a little white lie. We, we make up all excuses of the type of lie it is. It was for a good reason. We justify it all the time. The question is simply, have you ever told a lie? And the answer for all of us would be, yeah. What do you call somebody who tells a lie? I like it. I heard a liar. By definition, someone who has told a lie is a liar. How many lies do you have to tell to be labeled a liar? One. Anybody in here only told one lie in their entire life? I'm talking about any type of what we call a fib, white lie, anything to get out of trouble, anything because we don't want, if you're married, you don't want your spouse to be upset when they ask you, do I look good in this or anything else? Anybody not told a lie? All the married folks left. You've told many. And by definition, you're a liar. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? No matter the value of the item, have you ever taken something that didn't rightfully belong to you? For those of you that go to work, it could be a paperclip that your office bought, but you did it. doesn't matter the value. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Right, we got one person who's being honest this morning. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. What do you call somebody who, who steals things? Call them a thief. Call them a thief. Doesn't matter what the value is. And it doesn't matter how many times. Just one time of stealing something makes you a thief. Jesus said this. He said, if you lust at a person... Lust after them. Now I'm looking around. Most of us have eyes. Oh, my goodness, all of us have eyes. 
if you're looking at somebody and you desire to have them, you lust after them, Jesus says you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. You ever lusted after somebody? I know I'm going to raise my hand on this one. But you ever lusted? Because you're an adulterer in adultery. Not going very good, is it? We're, we're not on a, on a good roll here. Definitely not on a good roll. How about this? Have you ever used God's name in a way that didn't glorify him? That the intention of using it, as a matter of fact, I've heard his name used as a curse word. But some of us will even use it so casually and say, oh, my G-O-D. doesn't exalt the name of Christ. You know, God doesn't take that lightly. He calls it blasphemy. It's not something he takes lightly. By the way, I've just gone through just four of the Ten Commandments. Now, we could be here longer and keep going. But I think that makes the point. Just going through four of them, most likely we're all guilty. So by definition, that means we are lying, blasphemous, adulterous thieves. Now, take that and tell me you're a good person. Things just change. I just went from being better than my coworker or my neighbor or my family member to looking at God's perfect standard and going, oh, my. Completely changes. The perspective is completely different because it's God's standard. And when I stand there and I go, look, I'm a lying, thieving, blasphemous adulterer. I can't say, and a good person. The beginning kind of disqualified the latter, right? Now, I go through all that, not to stand here as your judge and to judge you and make you feel horrible and say, I can't even celebrate today, and why are we talking about all this sin stuff? That's not the point. The point is to simply point out what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. That now you sitting there this morning can say, instead of saying, well, I'm a pretty good person, you can go, oh, my before a holy and perfect God, I'm a sinner. That's it. That's the definition. Who's a sinner? That's me. We're all sinners. And the good news this morning is that we have a loving God. A God who is loving, but a God who is also just. The Bible says that he will by no means clear the guilty. Look, if he's a just judge, he can't just say, I really like you. Go ahead and go. I'll just excuse what you've done. That's not just. Can you imagine going in the court of law, and you've been wronged, you've been offended, and you get in there, and you're on one side as a plaintiff, they're over there as a defendant, and they come in, the judge is like, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you in a long time, to the defendant, and says, we go way back, you know what, just leave the court, I'll excuse everything. Why are you standing there as a plaintiff? You're wrong. Justice has not prevailed. Something must happen with the penalty. This person has done something, and justice must prevail. The Bible says that our disobedience, that in response to that disobedience, that we're storing up the wrath of God that will be poured out upon us on Judgment Day. Perfect justice of God. But is something called the gospel, the glorious news of Jesus Christ, God's love and justice shine through. We read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means that Christ would come and all of our sins would be imputed to him and that he would satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. That that wrath that was rightly due to us has been paid by Jesus. Folks, there is no greater news than that. There is nothing greater that we can celebrate than the sins that we have stored up, the wrath of God against ourselves, have been paid. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. When we speak of the gospel, there's one verse that is the gospel in a nutshell, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Why would they perish? Because they sinned against the Holy God. And they have stored up the wrath of God against them. But Christ has taken that on their behalf. This is glorious news. This means that every one of us here this morning has hope. That Christ has risen from the dead. That Christians are not fools. But that there is great hope in Christ. We have hope. You have hope. If you've just wandered in here today and you go, I'm not sure why I'm here. This is why. Because there's hope for you. There's hope. There's hope to be forgiven. There's hope to have all my sins cleared. Has anybody ever lived with regret or remorse? Like you put up that rearview mirror and you just look back the whole time and go, oh my goodness, look what I've done, look what I've been. I knew better, I shouldn't have done that. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope that I don't have to look back, but I can look forward in Christ. That all that mess, all that junk can be cleared by Christ. That I could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. All that old stuff could pass away. And behold, everything can become new. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Are you a sinner? Because if you're a good person, that's not what you hear about. It's those who have seen his standard and realized I have sinned against a holy God. But through Christ, I can be forgiven of my sins. Through Christ, I can inherit eternal life. Look at the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in John chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What is he saying? It seems like he said both ends of it. He says, though you die, you're going to live. You're never going to die. Well, I'm looking around, and I don't see any of us getting younger in here. And I don't mean to be mean. My hair is gone. If I had some, maybe I could dye it another color and make it look younger. But I'm not getting younger. I am one day closer to death than I was yesterday. And guess what? I hate to be the baker in the furnace, but so are you. You're one day closer. That these bodies, the immortal, will come to an end. But then what? What's there after that? 
Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, this physical body, yet shall he live. What's he talking about? He says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about a new heavens, a new earth. He's talking about glorious things where there will be no sorrow, where there will be no sin. The question is, will you be there? Jesus says it all depended upon him. That if we would believe in him, and he says, do you believe this? Now, it would take way too long this morning for me to come to each one of you and ask you that question personally. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Let me ask it corporately. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because this is something you can't get wrong. Not get this wrong. Christ, who came to die to give his life a ransom for many, has said, Believe in me. Receive eternal life. Let me close with this. Talking about the question Are Christians fools? Are Christians fools? The answer, hopefully, you've come to conclude is absolutely not. Not. Absolutely not. The only fool is the one who would say there is no God. We read in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. A person bound up in sin, a heart hardened by sin, would say there is no God. They would look at animal uh, fossils that have been placed together and say, see, there's evolution right there. Because their heart is hardened, they will believe a fable. Christ comes to bring healing to draw people. The Father would draw people to Christ. The only real fool is the one that doesn't come to Christ, the one who doesn't receive his gift of eternal life. That's the fool. The one who would reject the gift of God. So the question this morning is, what is stopping you? If you're here this morning and you have not come to Christ, to receive Christ, the question is, what is stopping you? You, what is preventing that this morning? Why not turn to him now? What would stop you from right now turning to Christ, from receiving him right now, that Jesus would bid you to come to him? Come to him, he would say. To repent, to turn from your sins and turn to Christ, to receive him. Receive Christ as Lord. Right now, if you are here and you have not come to Christ, I'm not talking about an intellectual, like, I've come in reasoning that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior. I'm talking about your life, that you have presented yourself to him, that here I am, all of me, as a blank check unto you. I come to Christ. Come now. Come to the one who has defeated sin and death and hell. Receive him as Lord and Savior. I urge you, I plead with you, call out to him at this very moment. From the depths of your heart, cry out to Jesus. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious news that the tomb was empty. That indeed Christ was raised from the dead. That Christians most certainly are not fools. Fool is the one that would put a stiff arm out and reject 
your grace. That would not submit to your spirit, wooing them and calling them unto yourself. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do just that. That you would call the sinner unto yourself. That they would turn to Christ. That they would receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That they would follow Christ. That today they would be given new life and eternal life in Christ. We praise you for this glorious gospel that all can be reconciled. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.